in a world gone mad. Only rationality and common sense can save it. It's Andrew and Jerry Save the World with your hosts, Andrew Langer and Jerry Rogers. And now, here's Andrew and Jerry. Hello there, everybody. Welcome to episode 17 of Andrew and Jerry Save the World. Episode 17, Andrew and Jerry take off their masks. I'm Andrew Langer. I'm Jerry Rogers, I think, anyway. I know you're definitely Jerry Rogers. And listen, <laughs> I, I want to, uh, we, we, got a, we got a slightly different show this week. We decided to go, not only are we going maskless, but we are going guestless as well. Uh, there's so much going on, and Jerry and I really haven't had a chance just to sit down and talk about everything that's happening in the world, because uh, there is so much going on uh, that we really wanted to just have a conversation between the two of us today. Uh, by the way, I, I want to, uh, I'm going to say this, and Jerry, you're going to have to remind me that I need to say this at the end of the show. Uh, thank you all very much for the support, uh, listenership, and viewership, but mostly listenership of uh, Andrew and Jerry Save the World continues to grow. And, and what I ask is that you make sure you start sharing it when you're when you're listening. Uh, if you enjoy it, leave comments, leave reviews, but please uh, share the podcast with uh, with folks. For those of you who are tuning in on the iHeart app because of Justice and Drew, uh, a special thanks to you uh, as well. So Jerry, uh, with that in mind, why don't we go right into it and we're really, we're going to just do the two segments today, uh, Ripped from the Headlines and the Bottom Line. So let's go to Ripped from the Headlines. Ripped from the Headlines. So, man, oh man, it, it, um, it's been crazy, dude. I mean, I, I, where, do you, where do you want to start? I mean, I think I, I want to start with, with the mask mandate issue, sure. uh, especially because I'm about to get on a plane. And I, I got to tell you, I am uh, over the moon about the fact that I'm not going to have to wear a mask uh, in the airport uh, as well as uh, wear a mask in uh, on the plane itself, uh, which we already knew was a, was a was a dumb thing given how the airlines are running things these days. Um, but this is this is this has been a it's, it's been a crazy week both because of the decision that came out uh, and then the the reaction from the faithful left. Uh, what, how where are you on this? Well, look, it's obvious that the Biden administration decided uh, to appeal the decision only after uh, reviewing social media, Twitter, TikTok, Uh, because. And again, I love how you hear people say, oh, this judge is not a scientist or a physician. How can she uh, deal with this? How dare we have one unelected Trump appointed judge decide for the whole country? How dare, how dare she? But again, this is, this goes to the uh, intellectual laziness and lack of curiosity from our media. Uh, The decision is 60 pages. Yes. And guess what I did? You, I, I, I want to say, Jerry, you you thumb through it. You like, I read it. And here's the interesting thing about this and you'll love it, Andrew. I yep. thought about you, actually. In fact, I printed out part of it. And actually, in the margin, if I have it here, I'll show you, um, Andrew. Uh, I wrote in Andrew. Oh, there you go. Because, uh, again, a, c- a couple of very interesting things. Number one, she doesn't deal with the medicine or the science. No, of course not. Uh, she deals with the law. And also, she deals with uh, how uh, the uh, the the CDC misinterprets, misapplies yes 
uh, federal law, specifically, uh, and I think the word sanitation is in her decision about 60 times or 70 times. And that's because the CDC misapplies the term according to the 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 title, the section title law that that is applicable here. And also she touches on Chevron. Yes, of course. Which is very, which is very, that, that, that that was my Andrew. But, but the the bottom line is this, right? She, she applies the law. It is a 60 page decision that anyone can read. She does put aside the science and the medicine, which you would expect the court to do. And here's my prediction. Uh, If they appeal it, it will be embarrassing for the Biden administration, which is which was something that I heard somebody on leftist radio talk about this morning about how about how they um, they were so, uh, this. I'm sorry, this was a law professor I think from the University of Richmond was surprised at this because of the the way the fact that this is in the 11th Circuit, which is a conservative yes. circuit, and and given the makeup of the Supreme Court, and and two by the way, great experts on the concept of deference. I want to I want to talk about two things real quick, Jerry. And I, I want to, first of all, gin on something you said. I, I, I think a good chunk of the reason why the administration reversed itself on this was because of pressure on social media. I think that's yeah, absolutely true. Yes. I'm talking about this. But, but I also think that there was enormous pressure within Democratic circles uh, for them to appeal this because the one thing we know, and I'm going to say this, Republicans and Democrats both do this. Um, they like to maintain power. The only listen, the only president that in 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 my adult life that has ever shrunk the reach of the federal government in in a material way was Donald Trump, which yeah. as I've talked right. about. But but the but the point is, is is that in terms of maintaining the power of the federal government to do these things, that's been a a justification from folks in the elitist progressive community. Uh, we how you know it, it, and, and again listening to the radio this morning. Uh, some a commentator said this. Uh, the 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 advocates for this they want to be able to have the ability to do these things in the future. So it, right. it's about power. Real quick, also, as said, but also just as a as a as a tag along to what you just said, and you're absolutely right. They want to maintain power, but also Andrew, it's federal power, right? Because yes, of course, uh, because you know America, right? Uniquely American concept of federalism. A lot of the pandem- pandemic response. Uh, has been uh, has has varied from state to state. Uh, And of course, the Democrats, progressives don't like that. But also don't don't underestimate this part of it. Uh, The left in this country, uh, Democrats in particular, want to blame. Republican states, red states uh, for COVID. This is a theme. (laughs) And also they 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 are afraid of Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida. And so part of appealing this decision is this, and that is, it is a woman, 35 years old, never tried a case, a Trump appointee, oh, the horror of it. And then it's Florida has these lax rules. Florida is recycling COVID throughout the rest of the country. Therefore, you know, because of Ron DeSantis, that Republican rogue governor, because of this rogue judge, uh, we can't allow this to stand. And so they're misreading the room. They're not looking at the law. And what they're looking at is the politics. And And this, I think, has to do with the kind of the the bubble of tribalism. Right. Oh, I think that's very true. They they are in their own bubble and they they're listening to their own cocktail circuit and not not looking at the law. 
and I want to get into this because I want I want when there are all kinds of crazy reactions. I want to play something. I'm not sure if you've seen it, um, uh, but a doctor on MSNBC talking about her reaction to this. But the rea- but I, I do want to say this um, so that we under we understand what we're talking about here. The way it works, right? The the way, and I, I literally just wrote uh, two essays. They're going to be published. Um, uh, one on Friday, one on Monday for Constituting America, which is the great constitutional educational foundation uh, run by uh, Janine Turner and Kathy Gillespie. And I was talking about, uh, we won't get into the substance of the essays, but how classical antiquity and the ancient Greeks and the ancient Romans, how they informed our, our governance today. The way it works in our society with regards to this is Congress passes a law and the, the Congress, the legislature is supposed to be very specific about the language within that law. Um, but then it is up to the executive branch to interpret and administer that law. And, and so what happens is that Congress passes uh, laws that deal with what the CDC can do, the Centers for Disease Control can do. Uh, and then um, uh, the, the CDC turns around and interprets. And there's leeway that's given in this thing called Chevron deference, which comes out of a 1970s Supreme Court case. Um, in, in, in how, you know, an agency is generally regarded their interpretation of, of what the words mean is supposed to stand. However, there are limitations to this. Um, an agency cannot turn around and say, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, 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 Congress and the Clean Water Act uh, specifically said that, uh, that uh, the EPA could not regulate farming activity as a violation of the Clean Water Act. However, uh, the EPA could regulate runoff from mountain ranges. So during the Obama administration, and this is no joke, you can go and look it up, the Obama administration attempted to define furrows in a farm field, freshly plowed farm field, as mini mountain ranges, and therefore runoff from the mini mountain ranges uh, would be subjected to the, the, uh, the auspices of the Clean Water Act. But you can't do that. And, 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 and that, was never, that never actually had to be adjudicated. EPA pulled that back. Um, Jerry's being handed something. And, and so the- <laughs> I know I want to go through my, cause you just said something that reminded me of what I read. Okay. There you go. In this All right, go, ahead, go, go, go. I'll and, keep and talking. So, I'll keep talking. So, 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 so the point is- go, ahead, right, go ahead, Jerry. No, say, so, so this judge uh, does go through the, uh, what's called the public health service act. Yes. Uh, and, and uh, the CDC, apparently there's a title section of the public health service act. The CDC uses uh, to uh, to to uh, to say justify. it has this power, right? Yeah, to justify their power. power. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, uh, uh, in, in the mask mandate, in this in this in this decision for the mask mandate, uh, the Biden administration uh, doesn't only only takes one line from the law to justify. So the the fact is is that their their very own ruling, their regulatory ruling allowing for the mask mandate. Uh, does not even uh, uh, mention the law, which again tells us uh-huh. that that the law is not applicable. So therefore, it's it's a it's a it's an unconstitutional regulation. However, uh, she does say this right because what just like you just said, what yeah. the Biden administration is doing is saying that uh, the CDC has a kind of sanitation uh, uh, duty here. Yeah, and and however, it misapplies the term sanitation, and yes. this judge. Uh, takes that word and uh, again myriad times in this 60 uh, 60 page decision says that sanitation uh you, you don't sanitize 
people, you sanitize property. And yes. what the Biden administration is doing here is they are they are substituting or they are interchanging property and people, you know, and it, which, again, which is a misapplication of the law. It's like it's like a, a crazy case years ago. I got to go back and look it up. But F- Florida has a rule like many states do. And I think many localities do, which says that if you are not a, uh, a police officer, a law enforcement official or an emergency worker, you cannot have flashing lights on top of your car. Right. You can't have the, you know, you know what the kind of I'm, I'm thinking about. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So um, um, in Florida, there was a there is a problem. You've seen this, Jerry. I'm sure you've done this. You know, when you drive past a speed trap. And you know that there's a cop behind you and you see cars approaching. Do you, do you ever flash your blinkers? Of at, course. Uh, my uh, my headlights. High, your high beams? Heads, yeah, 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 yeah. Warn somebody. Well, the cops in, I don't remember where it was in Florida, were very angry that folks were warning other folks about uh, about uh, about oncoming uh, speed traps by flashing their headlights at them. So the cops started pulling people over for doing that. And using this law that says you can't have flashing lights on your car to apply it to right. uh, what you're doing. And a judge finally, someone finally challenged a ticket under this. And the judge said, wait a minute, the law is very clear. I, I believe this was the way it was worded. As the statute is written, flashing is an adjective to describe the lights, right? They are lights that flash. Yes. It is not meant as a verb to flash somebody. Correct. And you are, and you're, so your interpretation is inapplicable. I mean, listen, we could go on for hours about how, how well, uh, agencies. I, I want to uh, throw this at you. I want to throw this at you because, again, you've talked about Chevron before, yeah. uh, Chevron deference. But uh, my understanding, again, uh, from talking to some legal experts and also some healthcare experts, and that is that this decision uh, really uh, is this judge. This is what has been told to me that this judge. Uh, is leading a bread crumb, uh, bread uh, crumb trail, a breadcrumb trail. Sure. For the Supreme Court. Yeah. I, on I, on the on on the power and the misuse of power by the administrative state. And, and interesting, interestingly, this judge is was a clerk for 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 who do you know? Clarence Thomas. For Clarence Thomas. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and and in this decision, there are again breadcrumbs. Uh, uh, if you're familiar with Justice Thomas and his decisions, his dissents and such things, uh, you can see here that this judge is actually brilliant. And we might be seeing uh, uh, a, a, a series of cases. Uh, we have to roll back well, much of the administrative state over uh, overuse of, of federal authority uh, given the last couple of years. And, and, and this is a huge, this is a massive issue. And our good friend Wayne Cruz over at CEI spends yeah. a great deal of time talking about this. And, and keep in mind that she's not just leaving breadcrumbs for, for, for Justice Thomas, but, and I don't know about Amy Coney Barrett, uh, but I do know that when it comes to both Justices Gorsuch and Justice Kavanaugh, um, I, I don't know why I, Justices Gorsuch is though we're plural, but Justices Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, both of them are experts on this issue of deference the, and have written extensively <laughs> about this. The Gorsuch is um, the Gorsuch is yes, that's exactly that's exactly. You sound like it. Johnny Depp now. Hey, thank you. Yes, the Me Poo movement, um, and, and so. Uh, that would not surprise me in the slightest that that she were doing this. I mean, th- this is an issue where when you have the, the problem is very simple and straightforward, um, especially in the modern era. 
Uh, and this is a conversation I had with a member of Congress probably 15 years ago who asked me when we talked about regulatory costs, how things got, who was to blame? And I think he was expecting me to say the Democrats or liberals or whatever. And I said, well, frankly, Congressman, you and your colleagues are responsible for the growth of the regulatory state. Because when you have a legislative branch that is uh, 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 too cowardly uh, to pass very specific pieces of legislation, and they used vague terminology, it leaves uh, you know, the, the executive branch with an enormous power to interpret the laws however they want to. Yeah. Um, and, and this is where you get, and then, you know, you have the agencies, you have this issue of uh, Chevron deference, which is the, the, uh, deference that is given to agencies and how they interpret what Congress has to say. And, and, and again, and, and some of the legal folks I've talked to yeah. believe that this is a kind of a first blow, uh, that we'll see eventually court decisions to overturn Chevron. Oh, without a doubt, and and or at least severely limited, yes. you know, and, and create the precedent to to essentially say explicitly, words have to have meaning, uh, and you can't right. go beyond them. You can't, you can't, you know, a, a mountain range is a mountain range. Farming activity is farming activity. Sanitation uh, is sanitation. Sanitation is sanitation, <laughs> and and so on and so forth. And, and and you know, and anyway, we could get into this. I don't want to spend all, all of our also. Time talking about again, you're right, but but on this issue of 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 the science and of the health. Yeah. Um, and this is what bothers me. So we've had two years of a mask mandate public transportation, including Uber and Lyft, right? Taking oh, you yeah. to the airports. Uh, the CDC hasn't done a single study as to whether or not this mandate has been effective in stopping COVID. You yeah, think one would think. If Sorry, two years. Now, two years now. And I, I want to say this. Part of the reason why I'm sure they've not done a study is because the studies that do exist, and I want to say this very clearly, there is absolutely zero science that cloth masks and, and surgical masks stop the spread of COVID. It, it, there is. So for those who want to say, well, she's a judge. What does she know about the medicine? A, she doesn't deal with the science of it. But however, however, but if she was or were to deal with the science, uh, the science is clear. The yes. cloth mandate, the, the the mask mandate is ineffective. And you know why she doesn't deal with the science? I mean, it's not just that judges should not be scientists and they shouldn't have to be scientists. But the reality is, Jerry, right? Of course, science changes over time. What doesn't change is the is Constitution the law, right. and the Constitution's division of powers between the yes. brand, various branches of government. So I wanted to, I brought this up uh, for those of you who are listening. I'm, I'm sharing a, a screenshot here. Um, talk about some of the reactions here they, that have been over the top. Uh, this was one of my favorite ones. This is a, a Dr. Patel on uh, on MSNBC, and I got huge, huge problems with this. Let me, uh, let me pull this back. I know this. Hold on. If people want. If people want. If people want. I get this. Um, so she is on MSNBC. She, is, uh, she has been asked about this. Here is what she thinks people ought to do regarding uh, the mask mandate or regarding masks they want to wear in the future if people want to stay safe the best thing they can do high quality masks and that when possible carry some extra masks i know this sounds crazy but if you tell someone next to you on a plane pay a 95 and just say or surgical mask and just say i've got an elderly mother at home i've got a child with cancer at home will you please do me a favor having the people at least closest to you in that row protecting yourself and them can be the best safety. So carry some extra masks with you. Carry some rapid tests with you if you're traveling. Carry 
some rapid tests with you. If but you're you know what? Let's but but let's let's again let's be clear about this. She says two things that I'm sure. Again, the uh, the interviewer uh, doesn't follow up on, yeah. and that is she said high quality masks N95 masks. Yeah, the mask mandate. Every single mask mandate from the local level to, to, you know, to counties and cities and states, but also this federal mask mandate doesn't require the N95. And so it does, again, the science offering your neighbor a cloth mask won't stop the spread of COVID. Let me, I want to, I want to play this because, and I'm going to share it with our, with our views on here. And, um, and, and, and while you're doing that, let me, let me just remind people, too, that uh, we had a legal expert or history uh, uh, our last show we yeah. had on an economist, an economist. Yeah. E.J. Antoni. And, and he said something very interesting. And that is, you know, in his in his research and his conversations, uh, he understands that for someone to catch covid on an airplane, airplanes happen to be uh, uh, well ventilated. And so therefore, uh you would have to be sitting next to a COVID infected person for 50 hours in order to get COVID on an airplane. And he went on to say that the longest flight in the world is 17 hours. And so therefore, again, it's just, it's, it, it's not science to wear the mask on the airplane. Let me, I want to break this down, Jerry, because there's so much wrong with this clip. I think it's important for us to talk about. Let's, let's start with this. If people want to stay safe, the best thing they can do, ah. high quality masks. If people want, see, it's funny because when I when I first heard that, I thought she said, "If people want to feel safe," so she so she's lying, and and, and I and I also thought, she goes on again. High, go back, high quality know. mask and ninety five mask. Oh no, I'm going to play the whole thing. All right. If people want to stay safe, the best thing they can do, high quality mask, and that when possible, carry some extra masks. I know this sounds crazy. Yes. It, it, it listen. I want to go there. Absolutely, hundred percent. I want to. I want you to sit here, Jerry, and I want you to think about this for a second. You're sitting on an airplane, right, minding your own business, and and a lady comes up. The lady in your row says to you, um, um, uh, uh, "I want you to hear. I I have a mask. We're going to get into what what she tells you to lie about in a minute, but I have I have a mask. That is that is crazy behavior, isn't it? I mean, I don't think that's well, again behavior. It it. it it would not be crazy. Let, let's start from 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 giving her the benefit of the doubt. Okay. It, it would not be crazy if, again, we're in the middle of a pandemic, we didn't have vaccines, we didn't have therapies, uh, and that we had masks that were proven uh, to effectively stop sure. the spread of the disease. None of that, but currently, is true. Yes, I agreed. And let me let me go on from here. But if you tell someone next to you on a plane, pay a 95 and just say, or surgical mask and just well, say, I apologize. I've got an elderly I, I, mother at home. I've got a child with cancer at home. Will you please do me a favor? Having the people at least closest. So, so Aaron, I'm going to stop. So I apologize. She said, I'm 95. I thought that's where she said N95. Oh, I, okay. So she doesn't still- even, so this is even more uh, dishonest because she says high quality quality mask but doesn't define what a high quality mask is but also she's telling people to lie right i mean i'm presumably nobody not everybody has a a uh, uh an elderly person home but here's where i start first of all if you have someone who is vulnerable at home then why are you traveling why are you traveling or anywhere and then going to visit with them i, I don't understand i mean you know it, it's like it's like oh okay 
I am, if I'm in a job where I have to meet with somebody and I have somebody vulnerable at home and I'm afraid of traveling, then you make the accommodations with whoever you're meeting with and you do advise them or what have you. You don't get on the plane or you drive yourself or or you do whatever. I mean, the, the again, once again, and, 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 and also taking the risk to expose yourself. Right. And, and Andrew, Andrew, and, and you and I are missing the, the obvious, the, you know, what, and that is this idea of zero COVID. Yes. This idea of zero risk is impossible. This is the problem, you know, on a lot of issues we've worked on in the past. Right. And I remember, you know, when, when we saw all these uh, smoking uh, laws, anti-smoking laws come into effect, you know, uh, you know, Fred Smith, I almost mentioned him every show. Yes. You um, do. We need to go see him. He would talk about how, if someone wants to take the risk of smoking, isn't that their decision? And also he would say, then why don't we uh, outlaw hand gliding or yeah. or other risky uh, uh, activities and and there's again the left for some reason the progressives for some reason believe in this zero risk environment that doesn't exist yes yeah no and, zero, and, and what, what zero covid gets us it gets us shanghai it gets yes. us where people are literally abandoned and starving and desperate uh, 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 in their apartments and if they venture outside, they are beaten uh, and they are arrested uh, and they are and they are and they are treated uh, like uh, animals by their own government. You know, it, it gets into right the discussions that we had about the vulnerabilities of America in the post 9-11 world. Right. And, and how do we make ourselves safe? And a lot of it's about feelings. And you, you talk about hard hardening buildings and what you need to do. And and I, I want to say because 9-11 happened when I was at CEI. Um, you had already gone off to the Manhattan Institute, but there was a lot of discussion about this issue of risk versus risk and, and about how, you know, essentially, ultimately, the only way you could, you could fully protect whatever is to put it in, in essentially a, a cement, a concrete encased bunker. Right. And, and we can't, we, that's, not, that's not how you live our lives. Listen, we all, we all take, on, uh, take on these risks. So, you know, it is, it, it's, there's a lot of time going back and forth uh, this week on this issue with the left and the right. Uh, uh, you know, the left saying, "Well, I'm damn it, I'm gonna." I'm, there's a really great political cartoon. I, I wish I'd, I'd pulled it up uh, before the show of of some person walking past a guard saying, um, "I'm gonna," well, you know, essentially angrily muttering, "I'm gonna wear my mask." And then the next panel, the guard saying, "Well, you've you've always had that option <laughs> long before COVID." Well, that, yeah, yeah, that's another thing. Yeah. Like, like, like yes. taking away a mandate doesn't mean that you can't do it Absolutely. if you want to. But also, here's the funny thing: because you just said this, you know, this seems to be a left and right issue, but it really isn't. Because no, no, I agree if, with that. If if you, but if you think about if you think about um the the left, if you think about Nancy Pelosi going to get her hair done illegally. Uh, during the pandemic, if you think about uh, Gavin Newsom, governor of California, uh, again, breaking protocols and going and having a dinner at a fancy restaurant. If you think of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez going down to Florida uh, to be maskless and yes. to party. Right. Um, the left wants to tell us how to live yes. and they don't follow these rules themselves. And that's the issue. This isn't really a left or right Republican or Democrat. This really is the elite, the laptop class, uh, ver, uh, the, 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 you know, the, uh, the versus working Americans. Look, working Americans have to engage each other 
Think about retail yeah. workers. Think about restaurant workers. Uh, think about construction workers. There, there, there has to be an interaction. Uh, but the, but the, but the, uh, the elites of this country, right? The Kardashians. Remember, uh, I think one of the Kardashians had her birthday uh, during the peak of the uh, pandemic. And what she did was they rented out a private island. Yes. So they went to a private island and had this wonderful celebration. Why? Because she's elite and she's rich. The rest of us, by the way, uh, couldn't purchase toilet paper. Yes. I mean, so it's just it's 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 it really is this. Elite versus the working class. Speaking of speaking of which, I wanted to pull this up because this came up this morning. Uh, Dr. Leanna Wen, right, um, um, was a, a senior public health person, used to be the head of, uh, of public health for Baltimore. She tweeted yeah. out this morning uh, about an article, uh, and it reads, uh, uh, my at Post Opinions column is about pandemic drinking. Uh, more people 16 to 64 years old died from alcohol-related deaths in 2020 than from COVID-19. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she goes on from there. And then she says, why and what to do? And I'm sitting here going, you know, you, you, you and getting on your point, Jerry, about the elites and their attitude. And, and our good friend, Mary Catherine Hamm, um, uh, she tweeted out exactly what I would have said. I would have added, uh, gee, I wonder why. Um, she writes, uh, we took away a bunch of people's support structures and access to healthy coping measures and shamed them if they sought them out, barred them from in-person or any treatment, school, jobs, sports, and gyms. And then she puts up a, a shrugging emoji. Yeah, well, she's exactly right. Look, yes, it's, it's worse than this. It's not just that more people, uh, young people under the age of, 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 I think, under the age of 30 died from alcohol. Think about it. More people under the age of 30 died from alcohol-related uh, 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 issues versus COVID in yeah. 2020. That that by itself is an insane statistic. But more broadly than that, again, when I wear my other hat at Real Clear Health, I have I have sat down with and I have uh, uh, edited and uh, and published pieces from uh, from myriad health advocates. There will be is more deaths as a result of the lockdowns than from the pandemic itself. It's one of those things that this is something that I learned from a very early age, very early age, my teenage years from my father. So I, and I don't talk about my dad a whole heck of a lot. I talked about, I talk about it. So my dad was a scientist, environmental scientist, background in, in geology and mineralogy, but, but made his career uh, working on the impact of uh, inorganic materials on organic tissue, i.e. what happens when, uh, um, uh, mineral fibers get lodged in your body and, and, and what happens there. But my dad worked on issues related to the assessment of risk. And when I was a, a, a teenager, my dad showed me a table in which it was demonstrated that your risk of death from exposure to asbestos, you were far more likely to die from eating one charbroiled steak a week and the <laughs> health impacts of those than from uh, than from uh, uh, your, an average person's exposure to asbestos, yet we were creating a national panic over asbestos. And, and this went on over the years. And it, 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 you know, this idea of being able to compare and contrast risk because we tend to look at things in a very one-dimensional way. Um, one of the examples I like to use, Jerry, is the environmental justice movement, which is, is even accelerated today as they deal with issues of uh, equity and inclusiveness. But, you know, the idea of looking at, let's say that uh, a, a chemical manufacturing company wants to site itself a new facility in a poor community and the environmental justice movement will look at it and say, well, uh, if you if they 
you know, they manufacture this chemical, they process this chemical here, it's going to raise the cancer risk. And that's one way of looking at it. But what they don't look at is the other side of it, which is, well, if you give people access to jobs and higher paying jobs and access to healthcare and the ability to buy better, less processed foods, their health risks actually go down. Right. But we only focus on the one and not the other. And this is the issue. We focus on the impact of, of COVID and exposure to COVID. Right. And it's different. It's, it's so funny, man, because it's, it's the middle of April, almost the end of April, 2022. And I think back to conversations that you and I had two years ago right now, um, where we were looking at the daily average cases and we were looking at how the how all of that was happening. And and I was I was at the time arguing for caution because we just didn't know at the time what we were gonna do. Well, here we are two years later, we understand the science better. Now uh, sorry, go ahead. In April of 2020, I was arguing for complete reopening of the economy. Yes. And I said at the time that Donald Trump's the biggest mistake of his presidency. Remember, it was around Easter time, 2020, where he said we're going to have this great, you know, this great resurrection. You know, he was alluding to Easter and the resurrection oh. and, the, and the opening. And I thought he was he was 100 percent correct. However, um, the the Anthony Fauci's and the Dr. Burks's and others uh, uh, in, in his in his in his administration on his covid team said, no, we can't do it. Yeah. That was the biggest mistake of his presidency. I Look, I was I was with you in March of 2020. Absolutely. And I get and, this. and I was all in favor of kind of the two week shutdown, although it was unprecedented. We had never done that before. Uh, we had. And in fact, I've gone through this on my radio show, and that is uh, what we did how we responded the public health the public health community's reaction to covid is the only time in human history uh, that we uh, use uh, uh, societal lockdowns that we quarantined to healthy it had never been done before yeah. and here's the irony it was done because of modeling because yeah. of instead in, instead of uh, uh, employing what public health experts what we've done in the past we went to this computer modeling system that said if we didn't do X, Y, and Z, you know, shutdowns, et cetera, uh, we'd see uh, tens of millions of yes. U.S. deaths. Yeah. It, and the modeling was wrong. Again, I, I said irony is because this is the same thing with climate change. Uh, yes. We're, we're, we're using modeling uh, to uh, to to direct our public the, policy. The models are telling us that the temperature is right. going up. Well, wait a minute, but the, they're not. You yeah, know, I, I, I get this. Yeah. It's, it's funny, you know, I, uh, going back when I was lobbying for NFIB years ago, um, and for those of you who don't know, I was a lobbyist for the National Federation of Independent Business. I was their White House and executive branch lobbyist in the early 2000s. Um, and, and we had a sit down when we were talking about the bird flu, I've told this on the air, uh, I had to sit down in a meeting with, uh, with Homeland Security officials talking about, maybe it was also officials from like the CDC and HHS, talking about the response to the bird flu, right? We didn't know what was going on with the bird sure. flu. And they asked me, I said, well, what happens if we shut down, if we force small businesses to shut down for two weeks? Sound familiar? And I said, it will be a disaster. And I explained to them then, most small businesses operate on very tiny margins. 
Um, and if you shut them out of business for two weeks, a lot of them will go under. And, and it's funny because I was thinking about a, a, a restaurant that I knew, one of my favorite restaurants in Williamsburg when I was a college student um, that shut down because they, they had to close because they were shut down for four days during a blizzard, the blizzard of 1996. Well, Cafe Mozart that. in Washington, D.C., a, a, a landmark, a wonderful restaurant in D.C. I was in there. Uh, again, during the pandemic, I went in with Erica and uh, Claire. I forget why. I think we were. I think we were up at Catholic University uh, for some accepted student type. Of course, the thing. restaurant that you met with somebody from up on Capitol Hill, and you had to check behind the curtains to make yeah, sure yeah, there yeah. weren't any listeners. Anyway, so so the owner yeah. was there, and 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 he said that they were going to close. Yeah. And I said, why? He said, because I can't afford it. We were the only people in the restaurant, by the way. Yeah. And sure enough, they 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 closed down. And here's the thing. We're still getting reports of COVID relief monies that should have gone to small businesses. Yes. For instance, the owner of Cafe Mozart has closed the restaurant. Yeah. So that tells me that the government did not provide him with the uh, resources necessary. Right. It's a takings. You yeah, forced you forced him to close. And now he's closed down. Yeah. So how many how many small businesses and restaurants and other such entities closed down? And, and, and I say this because at the same time, in the city of Baltimore, uh, we have the mayor there. Uh, uh, directing, <laughs> even talked about this, yeah. directing, directing one hundred million dollars of COVID relief monies to what he calls housing equity. He's yes. taking seventy five million dollars. Uh, and, 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 and putting it towards dealing with the homeless of COVID relief monies. Uh, he has now started a, uh, they joined, Baltimore City has joined this uh, guaranteed income pilot yep. program where he's taken $5 million of COVID relief monies and applied it to giving it to uh, 18 to 24-year-old parents $1,000 a month for the next two years. My wow. point is this, we've had, hundreds of millions of dollars of COVID relief money yeah. not get to the uh, small businesses and families that were economically hurt because of, of the COVID shutdowns. No, no, that's that. And, that, and that's absolutely, you know, it's funny. I, I was just looking at, I um, uh, was just looking at uh, a list of restaurants that are reopening. Um, you know, we're going to be spending a couple of, of, nights in dc in the fall and and thinking about anyway someone put out a list and i hadn't realized for instance a, this is an elitist place jerry but blt steak has been closed um and they're gonna they've they've actually reopened which i'm, I'm oh, very do, uh, look a, a new york landmark a yes. restaurant that has existed for well over 100 plus years yes. uh delmonico steak in new york sure. uh has yeah. been closed for two years and uh its ownership is now saying that they're unlikely to reopen but the point is yeah. is that we have misapplied the COVID monies. The lockdowns were a mistake. The masking didn't stop the spread. We shut down restaurants, right? Uh, again, because Baltimore is top of mind. Uh, the mayor there, Brandon Scott, the first thing he did as mayor when he was uh, when he was elected and inaugurated was shut down outdoor dining in Baltimore. Yes. And I remember I, I contacted his health officers, his his office. No one ever got back to me. And I asked him and I asked them, where's the science? Where's where, where's the study or evidence? And it turns out that restaurants and we shut down restaurants. Restaurants were never. I want to write that word down. Never. Yeah and circle it and highlight it. Restaurants were never, indoor and outdoor dining, were never a vector of the spread. In fact, there was a study. 
that showed uh, that in New York City, that less than 2% of COVID spread uh, could be traced back to restaurants. Almost everything we did in our COVID response was wrong. Well, yeah, and and, with, and, we, and we can spend hours sort of revisiting. Yeah. Let, let me just say one one more and thing because I want to pivot and talk about student loan forgiveness. Yeah, yeah of course, and, and and I know time's an issue, but yeah. let me just say this in terms yeah. of risk, in terms of risk, uh, and 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 just kind of put a put a button in it. Is that is yeah. that the right phrase? Okay. So uh, so I'm I'm watching the news this morning, which I very seldom do. I don't watch a lot of cable news. I go back and rewatch it later, or if there's a clip or that sort of thing, or I read sure. about it and then watch it. But uh, there was a report on California. And how the uh, the Democrats in California, they run the government, have decided to, to no longer uh, build highways and freeways oh, yeah. uh, because because they're racist. I'm glad you're bringing this up. Yeah, the, because it, because highways and, and freeways are are racist. So for equity reasons, we're not going to build them any longer. And of course, because of the environment and climate change. Yeah. But my, my initial reaction, besides how this is uh, this is not science. Uh, that this has nothing to do with equity, if you mean equity as equality. And I'm thinking about mobility, and I'm thinking Absolutely. about and, and I'm power. Think, yeah, and but I'm think, right. Yeah. But I'm thinking about if you are a if you are in uh, you're working in the inner city, if you're in L.A. and you get a job, that job though is 30 miles away. Essentially, what the Democrats in California are telling you is, well, too bad you can't yeah. take that job. Oh, you want to take your family uh, to go to wine country and and look at the beautiful landscape? No, you can't do that. Because and it goes back to it's and this is what our friends are. Our friends on the left don't realize that what we're doing in the name of equity is actually making it worse for poor people and working people uh, to have the mobility, to have the freedom uh, to uh, to build their wealth and to make things better for their families. One of the points that I used to make. You know, when we would get when we get phone calls and there was one particular lefty listener that I'm that I'm thinking about when I was on the air. One of the things that I would talk about, especially to our friends on the left, because, you know, the left used to be about empowerment. Right. We wanted to empower people to act on their own behalf. Um, Yeah, at the very least, uh, giving working class people a fair shot. Uh, to, to make it look the Andrew, fair uh, deal, the new deal, the square right. deal, all about, all about giving people more opportunity to better their own lives and yes. do for themselves. Go ahead. No. And, and, a, and a fundamental human right is to be able to put food on the table of your family. Yes. And when you, when you take away gas powered cars yes. and freeways and you, and you, everything has to be public transportation. You know, recently I got into a Twitter and I don't do this. You do this more often than I do. Not, I got into a Twitter discussion yeah. with a with an elected official here in, in here in Maryland. And I said, I said, I said, look, I said, I understand that we have to have um, efficient, clean, safe public transportation, but we can't have public transportation uh, as uh, something that replaces uh, the idea of personal mobility. And I said, talk to any construction worker when they are off their shift or restaurant worker or retail worker and they have to get home. They don't want to take uh, two buses and yeah. stay at dirty, dingy bus stops that are that are threatening and dangerous sure. uh, when they if they had the opportunity to get into their car. And so why don't we make cities? Why don't we make communities, jurisdictions more car friendly, have cars be more affordable? Let's not make it difficult to park. Yes. Let's not pay cra- uh, charge crazy taxes and regulations for parking garages. Why don't we make it easier for poor people to own and operate 
their own vehicles. That's, that's exactly it. It's because in, in the end, it's all about control and power. You know, and that's what I asked our listeners is, you, when, you, when, when, a, when a, a government solution is being offered, does it give people more empowerment over their own lives to do better for themselves? Can they defend themselves? Can they increase their net worth? Or does it mean that somebody is controlling them? You have to get in transportation that's on our schedule and live in right. the houses that we want you to live, where that we go, want that, you that, to live. That, that yeah. goes to where we want it to go. Think about yes. public transportation and why there are no subways that go up to Georgetown and Washington, D.C. It's yes. because the rich and the elite there didn't want the working class to come into their neighborhoods. That's, that's I right. I mean, and, 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 and again, you know, we should be talking more about how public transportation actually is a hindrance uh, to poor and working people. And again, I'll mention CEI again, because uh, uh, Sam Kasman, uh, who was a general counsel there for years, might still be, I'm not sure, uh, you know, had this wonderful um, uh, report on how the automobile uh, without the car, uh, the uh, civil rights movement would have been hindered. And, oh, and, yeah. he yes. and he you know, talks about the 1964 uh, bus, uh, strike. Uh, bus strike. And yeah. without, without cars, private ownership of cars, uh, the Rosa Parks, uh, bus boycott never happens. Yes, that, that, and, that, and that's exactly it. And then you go on and you talk about the cost of fuel and the ability of people yeah, to refuel their cars. Exactly because right. Keep in mind, right, you know, you had people, it wasn't just that in the Soviet Union, uh, you had a limited number of cars that were available for private ownership. And it wasn't just that you had to show papers and have permission to travel between cities or, or you know, travel on roads, but also with the, with, with the fact that there weren't competing businesses building gas stations around the road system in Russia, uh, you didn't have people able to travel and refuel their cars where they wanted to. And, and so, you know, it, this is, listen, this is part of the reason why Russia remains a yes. backwater nation. And again, on this issue, I remember our mentor, Fred Smith, Smith telling yeah. us that in Soviet Russia, they would show the grapes of wrath as a means of propaganda. Look at poor, <laughs> yes, yes, right? Yes, look yes. at look at the poor in America. <laughs> look at how devastating the economy is in America. And then the response was the opposite of what the Soviet yes. communists thought because the response from the people were, wow, even the poor in, in America own cars. Yeah, that's exactly right. Or, or when they would do documentaries about unrest in America and, and the cost of living in America, and they would show video of, of American supermarkets and they're like, oh my God, look at these supermarkets stocked with food. <laughs> no, that, 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 that's, that's exactly it. I mean, I, I want to, and you were talking about this and we're talking about crazy, um, uh, crazy ways of doing things. Um, you talked about Brandon Scott and, and the various proposals um, we got this news and this, listen, this is why I wanted to do the show this way, because you and I have not had a chance to have a wide range of conversation <laughs> yeah. uh, in, in a while. Um, and I think we need well, to the, 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 ex, the expert uh, advice today comes from uh, Andrew and Jerry. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, but but the point is, so so President Biden, again, coming on the heels of this mask announcement and seeing what's going to happen in November and getting, um, you know, folks uh, uh, like Elizabeth Warren and AOC and Rashida Tlaib and others in Lalomar uh, saying that they're not doing enough per, for the progressives and that's why they're going to lose in November. President Biden turned around and announced student student loan forgiveness. And, and A, you know, one of the things that so, as someone had pointed out to me, and I love this, well, if we're talking about student loan forgiveness, why aren't we talking about medical, you know, medical debt forgiveness 
when you have some kind of catastrophic illness. Not that I want to do that, but I mean, if we're going to really talk about this yeah. or, in a serious or, way. And you, know, you and I talked about this off, off mic, what we talked about yeah. it here. And that is, I mentioned to you, look, I have two girls in college. And this is where I want to go. And, and uh, we purposefully, my wife and I, we purposefully. Same here. Uh, invest our money in our kids. We don't have fancy cars. We don't have extra cars. We don't have a shore house. I haven't purchased clothes. I, I mean, I mean, in two or three years. My point yeah, is, is we that we are we are on a we are on a a, a stripped down budget. Why? Because I don't want Bridget and Claire, my two oldest, but also when Maddie and and Grace and Liam go to school, I don't want them to be saddled with uh with with uh student That's loan debt. Of course. So now now what I could have done is I could have bought a new car. I could have gone on that vacation. I could have bought a new suit or whatever, taken my wife on a 25th wedding anniversary cruise. I could have done all those things and, and, and take out uh, 80 grand uh, for, uh, for my girls to go to school. But we decided not to. And, and, and so, but again, uh, uh, they're, they're, in this conversation, what about reparations then for those of us who made, made, fiscally conservative decisions uh so we would save our kids well it, it, it it's one of those things right because it gets into all the things that we've been talking about today which are the unintended consequences of doing things you know you have policy and politics that drive things and nobody thinks about you know the, the in this case it's unintended economic consequences right the the idea of you know when we had the federal government essentially take over the student loan program and it became you know and by, and by the way for our listeners you can trace the uh, the the yeah. acceleration of tuition with with that decision to have the federal government take over uh, the loan programs. The fact of the matter is, is that if you're going to have loan forgiveness, then all these colleges that went from like Fordham University went literally from sixteen thousand dollars a year tuition, room and board to over seventy five thousand dollars a year today. Uh, and but they have a multi-million, multi-billion-dollar endowment. So does Georgetown. So all these schools, they were able to were to, to, to pull in profits and build new facilities and pay higher salaries and have these endowments. If we're going to have this reparations, this payback of student loans, why not force the colleges to do it? Why well, do taxpayers have to do it? Well, and it's one of those things where, and you know, the, I'm sure that the higher education lobby as powerful as it is, would have something to say about this, but <laughs> hit the nail on the head, right? When you have colleges that are out there and, and they're, Jerry, no joke, literally building water parks on campuses, yeah, uh, you know, as a way of attracting students, um, you know, there's something, and they, they can do this, right? And so you all understand the economic mechanisms that are at work. If, if anybody can go out and get a student loan because the student loans are federally guaranteed, um, then, then there is no there. Then the colleges themselves can charge whatever tuition they want, which right. means they can spend whatever they want. That's why there is this direct relationship between. Which is why, though, also for those of us who who yeah. are avoiding student loans, why the cost of tuition uh, is is skyrocketing at a rate yeah. uh, that doesn't match. Uh, notwithstanding the inflation of today, but, you know, historically over the last 20 years, yeah. you know, has, has been out of sync with the rest of the economy. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of sitting here and thinking about this and, and understanding where, uh, you know, where college tuitions were when you and I were in school. 
Uh, my, was- my, my first year at Fordham, which again, um, I went to Fordham for uh, 87 through 91. Uh, when I graduated Fordham, Fordham was $16,000 a, a year tuition room board. Yeah. And, and, oh. and I mean, that's, do that's, we know what, and do you know what, what Fordham's tuition is today? It's $75,000. Jesus. I mean, and that's, and that's, and, and think about that. That's per year. So if you are a student, yes. if you were there for four years, that is $300,000 that you're spending on this. And for, and, for a BA, which yeah, by yes. the way, now that I'm in a position where, where I am, uh, where I am asking, you know, uh, publishing and I'm, uh, you know, dealing with writers and, and public relations firms, the more people I talk to, uh, in the uh, area of of public relations uh, and 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 this kind of like uh, uh, public affairs experience, work experience is more important than college experience. And and thankfully, you know, the, the, we're we're seeing certain schools that are placing a greater emphasis on um, on uh, on getting students that practical experience that they're going to need in order to get out there. It's one. Of yeah, the and, and, Andrew, on this point. Yeah. If if I were to hire an editor, and because of COVID, I have two choices. I have a a, a young lady who graduated from Fordham uh, with an English degree, a BA, uh, but you know very little work experience. So you know, during the summer she worked, and and maybe she did a couple of pieces for the local Fordham paper. But you know, again, a solid student, good GPA, or someone because of COVID decided to take the two years off and work for. Uh, work for uh, the White House Writers Group or yes. work for uh, the, the, the DCI Group or some other big firm, I'd be like, you know what? I'm taking the one uh, who's short, doesn't have her BA yet, uh, but has two years work experience versus the one uh, who has her BA. And I'm glad you framed it that way because you and I are taught thinking about the exact same person. I was trying to figure out a way of, of explaining that situation without uh, without divulging that person's identity. <laughs> so, so, so thank you very much. But, but the, and, that, and that's the point here um, is, is that, and you and I both know this, that, we're, that, that employers are looking for, it's not just that they're looking for ways that various applicants stand out, but, but you know, one of the things that I've talked about with students that I've mentored and, and, and other folks that I've talked to about this, people who are just starting out in DC, um, you know, ultimately an employer is going to be looking for how you bring greater value to their enterprise. How do you make their bottom line better? I mean, even if they're a nonprofit organization. And, and one of the ways to do that is to have that practical experience. Yeah. Uh, uh, moving forward. I mean, I, I, you know, you, you look, I'm not saying don't, don't get your BA, but I, but I am no. saying that, that work experience matters. Hey, by the way, Georgetown's endowment is $2.6 billion. Yeah. No, it, it's, it, and that, and, and that's, and that's just it. It is, you know, they, they are, they are hitting up uh, uh, folks to, to get this kind of money. Listen, I want to, I want to shift gears um, because we've been going for an hour. We still haven't touched on one of the other big stories this week. Uh, which is this this crazy story about the libs of TikTok? Oh and, yeah, yeah, um, and yes, and, and the, this this columnist for the Washington Post, uh, Taylor Lawrence. Um, I mean, this is one of those stories, and I want to actually I want to revisit something real quick, Jerry, because this the, this week has underscored this for me. You and I had a conversation last week about uh, about Twitter. And I don't know if you've had any further thoughts about this, about whether or not Twitter, you know, the, the uh, leadership at Twitter will have any, have any uh, impact changes. But once again, with these stories, and I've tweet up, I tweet about 
you know, big stories all the time, but my tweets are being seen by more people now. Um, I, that, that I, that I know that, that I'm getting much greater response to things. Um, I, I still, you know, don't understand hide her hair, how, um, uh, you know, what, what distinguishes one tweet from another in terms of the algorithm. But I do know that, that I am, that my tweets are being seen by more people. This story for the uninitiated, uh, there is a, a, a Twitter account called libs of TikTok. Uh, it is, I have a TikTok account. Jerry does not. I do not. Um, um, I was, I was told by somebody who's in, you know, social media marketing that I should probably get a TikTok account. Um, and so I and, what, and what do you do on TikTok? You just, you put videos? They're short videos. So yeah. when I visited this really great barbecue place down in South Carolina, I put up a, a video, a short video of that. Okay. Okay. Uh, we had a snowstorm. I read, uh, I read uh, uh, Robert Frost, or I recited Robert Frost stopping by the woods on a snow. That evening. is a langer thing to do. A hundred percent it is. And, and, I got a, a big response from it. Um, right. But the point is, is that is that libs of TikTok takes videos that are posted in this very public forum called TikTok, which is all about short videos, and, and puts them up there as a way of, of skewering, as a way of poking fun and, and, and underscoring how crazy the left can be. Well, it takes, it, 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 libs of TikTok take, takes a video put up by some other, uh, some other entity uh, and and just posts it. Yes. In fact, let me uh, let me let me pull up uh, let me pull up uh, a, a sample. Um, but this Washington Post reporter journalist uh, behaves exactly the opposite in terms of how a reporter or journalist should act in terms of of propagandizing, in terms of editorializing, in terms of wanting to do damage. In fact, she actually says right. That what's her Tori? What's her name again? Uh, her her name was uh, Taylor Lawrence. Taylor Lawrence. She says yeah, that she that she's looking to hurt, right? Yes. No, no. She she didn't say she was looking to hurt. She said she was looking to expose. Expose. Um, right. It was it, she wanted to. She she was literally writing an expose, not on the libs of TikTok account, but on the woman who was behind it. Okay. Um, and that and that's and that's the that's the issue here. Uh, is 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 literally her goal was to expose this person and the irony is and let me pull this up the irony is uh this is um uh here is taylor lawrence let me pull this up here is taylor lawrence herself on tiktok uh talking about the problem of uh of doxing uh let me as i do this here sorry jerry so the doxer is upset about doxing yeah, so here is uh, here is what she had to say. Please, a bunch of people are asking if I'm going to write about the West Elm Caleb story. No, I'm on book leave. I can't keep writing pieces for the New York Times. I literally do have a lot of deadlines. All right, but but time out for a second. Um, um, I, I just want I want to say, and I said this to Jerry off mic, and I am going to mansplain is not the right word. I have a real problem with someone who is a high level journalist, as this person is supposed to be. Uh, doing a video where she's essentially laying in bed, which it, it, it's just this, this bothers me on a host of levels, but here, here she goes. Let's keep going. But journalists who are writing about it, please speak to people with experience in online harassment. I'm not going to lie. I've been pretty horrified by a lot of the media coverage of this. 
A lot of people are just aggregating some of the cruelest commentary online and whipping it all up into a news story with absolutely no comment from Caleb or nuance about the situation. The top story on Google yesterday was literally this House Beautiful story that doxes Caleb, puts his full name in the story, zero comment from this man. After this whole article gleefully encourages this online harassment and doxing campaign, they literally use him to sell West Elm furniture through affiliate links. Once again, commercializing a harassment and doxing campaign. I think the media needs a total wake-up call in the way that they cover online harassment, and this is just the latest example of it. The media needs a wake-up call uh, because of, uh, uh, you know, in terms of this, this kind of online harassment. And let's talk about this, which is that this person, this uh, journalist, I, I, Jerry and I have talked about this. She is technically a columnist. She's not a reporter. Okay. Um, well, well, no, that, no, no. That, that makes a difference. Well, the, yeah, yes. I mean, I mean, I, 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 at least I think that's, that's the way it is. But the point is she reached out to this person and then reached out to this person's family members and other folks. She reached out to, I think the press secretary, yes. Ron DeSantis. Um, yeah. and, and, and this is where, where we learned that she was doing this, uh, 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 writing to expose or do an expose uh, on this, on this person. And then, and then she posts this, uh, a person's name, a uh, behind libs of TikTok, and the story initially linked to her professional credentials. Now, the only reason why you do that is because you want to exert pressure on, uh, she, this person. Sorry, go ahead, Jerry. This, this is doxing. This is doxing. Yeah. And the, the whole idea, the very, the very thing she's complaining about, she actually engages in. And then what's worse is. Uh, her her actual story in the Washington Post was dishonest because yes. it makes it seem like the libs of TikTok um, edit uh, or they uh, cherry pick. They don't. They just take videos. Yes. Of what liberals are saying on TikTok and reposting it. And there is nothing to stop somebody on the left from doing a similar conservatives of TikTok. Right. You know, it's funny, Matt, Matt Walsh, who's a, who's a podcaster. We've had him on yep. our podcast in the past. Um, I think he's at the daily wire. Anyway, long story short, he said that he was on with uh, Tucker Carlson and he told Tucker, he goes, look, I would love for someone. In fact, when media matters or other left, left center places repost my stuff, I love it because yeah. I stand by what I say. See, the problem here is that libs of TikTok, uh, they post what progressives don't want leaking out in a way that they can't control. That's the problem. Uh, yes. Uh, and, and, they, and, and as of late, they focused on this issue of the, the, the dialogue uh, over what's been happening in Florida, this law. Um, and, and the, you know, the, the, the rightly concern that some parents have uh, over uh, how gender and sexuality is being discussed and at one age with kids. You know, it's very interesting um, you, you bring this up because um, both the New York Times and Washington Post, again, two left of center uh, uh, news outlets have both recently uh, published pieces on this issue of sexual identity yeah. and, 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 and throwing up some caution uh, that uh, they had a, a, a in the Washington Post had a trans yeah. person uh, write an article saying that uh, that 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 they are um, concerned about the contag contagion 
of trans, non-binary, queer, uh, that uh, 20% of Gen Z, is that, is that right? What's Gen Z? Gen Z is what comes after Gen X. That's the, that's, uh, um, I think anybody born after 1985, maybe. All right. So, so apparently the idea of identifying as LGBTQA plus identifying as queer has gone from the baby boomers or the, uh, I'm sorry, the World War II generation as less than 1% as the most current uh, generation, it's over 20%. And this trans person uh, who's also a psych, who's also a psychologist, by the way, uh, says that there's something, there's something wrong here uh, that we, we are not, we're not just making it safe for young people in particular to come out as queer and and rather we are promoting it. And, and, and again, to, you know, to, to use uh, some, uh, what something are ugly terms, but we are in a sense recruiting and grooming. And 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 I'm sorry, Gary, it should be a concern. Let me, let me be really clear. So you and I are gen X. Okay. Um, One of my brothers is a millennial. So millennials were born between 81 and 96. Okay. Our kids are considered gen Z. So anyone born between 1997 and 2012 is Gen Z. Yeah. So Gen Z. Yeah. You know, so a lot of Gen, a lot of Gen Zs are 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, yep. 21, 22. Over 20% identify as queer. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this is this is not again, this is not science, this is not nature. Uh, this is uh this is it's it's cool to do it. Look, Andrew. Yeah. I'll br- I'll bring our audience back. Do you remember in the 90s? Uh, you know, Vanity Fair, all the kind of um, uh, fashion and and culture publications. There was a time and they called it lesbian chic. Remember oh, this? yes. Yes, I do. That it was cool to be lesbian. Yes. And so therefore, a lot of women who weren't or didn't identify as lesbian identified as lesbian because it was the cool thing to do. I, we're, I, in a, we're in a situation now where. It's the cool thing uh, to be non-binary. I want to be really clear about something. You know, if, if one of my kids were to come out to me, I would be, I would love them. I would be happy, you know, for them. I would support them in in what they do. I want to be really, really clear about that. Now, wait, I want, I want to contrast that. I would not be happy for them. I understand. Uh, I would not support that, that choice because, because I believe it's a choice. I believe that being, uh, being, being, um, non-binary being trans is not what God's is, is not God's best for you. And also again, at some point, Christian people have to reconcile, you know, uh, the, the scriptures are clear that God created them male and female. He didn't create the male, female and something else. And again, I'll say this too. I know it's controversial. Um, uh, you know, and, and I have uh, family members who are gay, uh, being homosexual, living the homosexual lifestyle is not God's best for us. I, I was, and I would, I, anyway, I was going to point out that we're all sinners, but, but set that up. Yeah, so of course, again, and I, 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 look, I don't get me wrong. I would be accepting in, in a sense that um, I would love my, my, my family yes. member. I would, they, they would live in my house. I, I mean, no, nothing would change in, in, in terms of my love, uh, but, but I wouldn't be like, I wouldn't be uh, uh, popping champagne and 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 having a and having a disco well, night. I was gonna t- I was gonna tell this this story. So I went to college with um, I, I'm not gonna use names, uh, but, but but Greek sisters, um, one of whom became 
a, a radical lesbian feminist actually wound up working with a woman I went to high school with uh, as one of the editors of, of, of bitch magazine, uh, which is again, a, a magazine of radical feminism. Um, but she wound up becoming the lesbian sex columnist for FHM magazine. You remember FHM magazine was one of the <laughs> space. Yes. So she was a, 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 the lesbian sex columnist for FHM. And, and then while researching a book um, wound up meeting a man in the course of researching her book and she fell in love and, and, and married him and became what, what was termed in that community as a has been. And I know this sounds that you really like the plot of, uh, of uh, chasing Amy, the Kevin Smith movie, but no, this, this really happened. She, she, and she is now living her life. I don't know if she's living as a bisexual uh, woman or, or, or what have you. Um, but the point is I, I've, I've sort of, I've, I've seen this, I've seen this happen. You know, he, uh, he, 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 here's the thing too. And, and why sexuality is complicated. Um, in fact, Jerry, <laughs> tell, tell you what, hold that thought for a second. Because I think that's a good indication. It's a good way of us to segue into the bottom line. The bottom line. The bottom line. All right, you were saying, Jerry. Look, the the issue of sexuality uh, is is complicated. Um, yes. And and and, and, I, and I, I'm going to speak from just from a, a, a kind of a, a biblical worldview. Um, you know, uh, God did create us male and female. However, He also created us. Uh, to be ad- adaptable uh, and to have free will. Uh, and and there, the, the sexuality is something that it really does exist on a scale. Uh, it, 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 it makes perfect sense for me, to me, that if someone uh, has been uh, part of a, a non-traditional family with non-traditional, non-Orthodox friends, uh, that they would have certain non-traditional, unorthodox beliefs and even uh, make certain uh, lifestyle choices. Uh, there, 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 look, there's, there's a, there's science where, where a heterosexual uh, male uh, goes into prison for a long period of time. And because of the human need yeah. for intimacy, not, I mean, not just sexual intimacy, but intimacy, uh, they end up falling in love or having relationships, same sex relationships in prison. Again, because it's human nature to want to touch, to be touched, to have intimacy, to be loved, right? Um, yes. But then, but then they they exit prison life and go back to a heterosexual uh, lifestyle again. So this idea that we could just decide, gay, trans, straight, is so overly simplistic, uh, and and it, it, and 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 it's not it's not even science. Uh, it's not even um, uh, 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 understanding our history. If you think about this, and I'll say and my last word on this, people say that um, the Bible is anti-gay, or or, and that's only because in that time, uh, gays were discriminated against. Same sex. The word homosexual doesn't come into the English vocabulary until the 1860s. By the way, uh, before the 1860s, we didn't have a word for same-sex attraction. We just called it same-sex attraction. Yeah, um, but certainly homosexual, and we, refer, and we refer, refer to the activity whether or not it was sodomy or buggery or whatever. Right, right. Yeah. Anyway, but in uh, in 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 the time of Christ, in the time of 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 the, of the Jews of the Old Testament and and Christ of the New Testament, ho- homosexuality again, same sex attraction was highly acceptable in Roman culture. You go to you'd go to a, a Andrew Andrew Langer would come to the uh, <laughs> come to the 
uh, plaza, uh, you know, the home of Jerry Rogers. And the first thing I would do is offer him wine and then ask him, do you prefer a woman, a man, a boy or a girl? I mean, this was, again, this idea of, of sexual fluidity was common. Folks, this is but not wait. where I thought the show was going to no, go. But, <laughs> but however, however, Judaism yeah. and later Christianity disrupted what was socially acceptable. And, and what we learned through, uh, through the Old Testament, through the Ten Commandments, what we learned through Jesus and his teaching is that God has more for us than just our base desires. Yes. And therefore, we can choose to live a life that is it, chaste. And, is. And, and by the way, chaste doesn't mean that you remain a virgin or you don't engage in sexual activity. Uh, a married man is chaste as long as he stays again, doesn't commit adultery and doesn't commit, you know, uh, 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 acts of, of, of sex outside his marriage. What God, what God calls us to is this more perfect union. And in, and, and, and in God's plan, it's husband, wife, family. Yep. It, it is, it is, as someone explained to me, actually, it may have even been a New York times article years ago, um, talking about laws of kosher, uh, of kashrut, kosher eating, kosher kitchens, et cetera. Um, it's not that, you know, God does not want Jews to not like bacon. God wants Jews to want bacon, they, they, to like bacon. To and then, and then bacon, choose not to and eat then it. choose not to eat it. Exactly. That's, ding, that's, ding, ding. Yeah. So this idea, again, that uh, I, I and, accept. And, 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 and nevertheless, that's why, you know, I, I when I see the but, bacon cheeseburger in front of me. I, <laughs> but this, but this is also. Resist that temptation. But th that's actually a, a, a very good way of putting this. The, the fact of the matter is, is that uh, if you have a relationship with God, what he requires is your surrender and your obedience. What did Jesus say at the end of the gospels? He said, if you love me, you will follow my commandments. And the commandments are very clear in terms of, of, of sexual ethics. And again, I'm not judging the gay person, the trans yeah. person, the queer person, the, the non-binary person. There's no judgment from me. Um, and I think in a free culture, a free society, these, these people who have um, uh, lived live this way and express themselves this way, uh, 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 a combination of, of nature and nurture, I think they should be able to live and live free, live in dignity, live without discrimination. And I would fight for that. And I have fought for that. But if you're talking about the spiritual realm, if you're talking about what God has for us, God wants more for us than just the physical pleasures and physical limitations of our, of, of, of these lives. Make sense. Yeah, no, it, 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 listen, God wants us to focus on, on the, the hereafter, not the temporal world. Right. Yeah, uh, I want to want to shift gears real quick, Jerry, because I, I, I there's there is something that that is having nothing to do with any of this uh, that has been sitting on me. I, I sitting on me, sitting in my mind, and I mentioned this to you yesterday. Uh, as things get ramped up, um, um, or not ramped up, as the situation in Ukraine continues to to, to pivot, um, I want to I want to say something. You know, I, I'm sorry as I'm trying to formulate my thoughts here. Uh, there's I, I threw you off there with all the uh, non-binary non stuff. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yes. No, you, 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 it's, it's fine. Uh, my, my point is this. Um, you know, as the United States is pledging more uh, military support for the Ukrainian resistance, um, there has been, obviously, there has been pushback 
from a, a variety of camps, whether or not it is the far left, you know, the Noam Chomsky's of the world, uh, to folks uh, on the right. Is Chomsky are, still is Chomsky still alive? Yeah, Chomsky's still alive. How and old is how guy. old is he? That's a that's a that's a good question. Uh, man, he was someone that when I was in school, um, man, he was all over my uh my textbooks. No, no, Chomsky Fordham. is 93 years old. Wow, good for him. So um and and still, you know, 100 percent wrong. About, about his <laughs> yes, 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 and, yes. And so, um, yes, <laughs> um, you know, Noam Chomsky, who just wrote that he that he wants the Ukrainians to lay down their arms and and essentially come to the negotiating table, and you know they have to they have to deal with this with a realistic worldview. Um, at at the same time, um, writers on the right, and I'm going to say this, um, I, I was very angered by a, a colleague of mine who wrote that. Uh, referred to this this conflict as a as a border skirmish, um, and I, I just would implore my friends on the right who are offering up. It's okay to be skeptical. You have to be skeptical, but let's and, remember. And, and, again, and, 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 and we're not supporting um, constant war if we recognize that the Russians are the aggressors, that the Ukraine people have a right to self-defense and the pushback. This, this yeah. was not, this is not a border skirmish. No, of course this not. This was an invasion. Unless, unless, unless Kiev is, is on the border. Is on the border. Uh, right. Yes. It, it is. This was, this was an attempt at regime change. Yes. Now, again, sort of couching it in, uh, couching it in, in the rhetoric of denazification or, or pushback against NATO, whatever. Um, the point is, Russia attacked on three different fronts, and they tried to capture the capital of a nation. That's not a border skirmish. That is trying to initiate regime change. This is war. Um, and, this and, is and, a and, war. And, and and let's let's remember again, as you sort of peel these things back, um, that it's not only that Russia is the one who invaded, but Russia's pretexts ring hollow. That if Russia was concerned about NATO expansion, there are plenty of venues internationally for them to to deal with this, to be concerned about it. If they if they're concerned about the Donbas republics and their ability to be independent, then they should have gotten the international community on their side to support this. And there are plenty of folks around the world that would have supported this in the UN. And if it was about denazification of Ukraine, then you can't go about using anti-Jewish mercenaries from Libya and Syria, right? Uh, who are who have been hired by a company whose name comes from a, a much revered figure in Aryan lore, the Wagner group. So, you know, we, we have to be really clear. And I, I know this has been something that I've been talking about for almost more, actually more than two months now. Um, but we have to be clear about what the facts are uh, in this, in this situation. So I just I just wanted to say that Jerry, um, uh, you are on on Sunday. Are you on a, a, elsewhere this weekend? No, uh, I'm on uh, the Jerry Rogers show Sunday WBAL seven to ten. If it's Sunday at WBAL, it's Jerry. Yes. Uh, so I, I'm I'm reminding you all, as I said that I was going to say at the beginning of the show. Please, please, please tell your friends about the show. We, we our numbers are going up, which is what we want. We're having listener growth. We're having viewer growth. That's as it should be. 
Uh, please tweet out or share on social media that you're listening to the show and where you're listening to the show. Leave us reviews so that we get greater notice elsewhere. Uh, all of these things are, are helpful for the, for the propagation of Andrew and Jerry's Save the World. Uh, Jerry, I know you want people to find the truth, don't you? Well, before we do that, is, 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 is today a special day? Oh, I, yeah. Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm sort of loath to, to talk about these things, but but yeah. Uh, yeah. Happy happiest of, of birthdays to my older daughter. You're loath uh, to talk about it. I don't like that. I don't know. I can't I listen. I don't like talking. To, I don't like talking about my kids all that much on the air. Uh, all right. Uh, but I but, do. But, I talk about my kids all, right. all the time. I, I, hey, I know, happy birthday. Also, it's my sister Colleen's birthday. Today oh, happy too. birthday, Colleen. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's Maddie's birthday today. Uh, she turns 20. Uh, quite exciting. In fact, so we're we're, uh, we're 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 excited. We're heading down a quick trip uh, to uh, to Charleston because she's giving a presentation on a symposium at a symposium on seafloor mapping. And so we're going to head down and, and, and see that. Uh, but Jerry, I'm sorry, you go ahead. Find the truth, plant your feet and stand firm. God bless you. Have a great week, everybody. Uh, have fun and stay safe.